Did you know that the Super Bowl is this weekend? None of you are Bengals fans. Not one of you are Bengals fans. You became a Bengals fan like three weeks ago. None of you are Bengals fans. You said that just to hurt my feelings, didn't you? Yeah. Yeah, the Rams, yeah. Like, I, yeah. Like you're trying to decide between the Rams and the Bengals. Well, I don't know if you know this, but it's actually happening here in L.A. for the first time, like, in a long time. It happened at SoFi Stadium. It's so close that you could drive there and you could just show up. Did you see how much money it costs to get in? Have you seen this? Yeah, so, like, the cheapest price for, like, the nosebleeds was something like seven or eight thousand dollars for the nosebleeds. If you go and look up prices, you can get a spot for 17 grand or $42,000 or $35,000 or a Tesla or a Jeep or a pickup truck or a seat at a football game or it's just interchangeable. The dollars and cents equal out. It's a lot of money to get in, but I want you to imagine that somehow you made it in and for some reason you were playing in this game. I saw you guys play football before. I know that it's uh, probably not going to work out if this happens. But imagine you were playing. It's kind of a crazy thing. You'd be at the biggest stage. A lot of important things are happening on the field. And if you played on offense, you better listen up to what the quarterback says. I, what they did actually recently, because at SoFi Stadium in L.A., there were so many 49ers fans. There were more 49ers fans than Rams fans. The Rams offense actually had to play like they were playing in an opposing team stadium. They couldn't even hear each other when the quarterback wanted to call plays, so they had to play it like they were on the road. They were imagining like they were at the 49ers stadium because there were so many people against them in the stands that they actually had to do like a no-call offense where they're not talking. They had to just call the plays in a sequence because they couldn't even hear each other at their home stadium. And I don't think that's what's going to be like the Super Bowl, but imagine you're on that offensive line and you're playing and your life depends on you listening to what the quarterback says. Anything that he says, you need to make sure that you hear exactly what he's talking about because there's a lot of opposing voices. There'd be a lot of things on the outside trying to get you distracted, but you would have to stay focused on what that quarterback is saying because any little thing that he says because he's important and it's in an important situation, you have to listen up. You would pay such close attention. Now, I want you to translate that to what the text is going to talk about tonight in Psalm 19, that God actually speaks to us. And we live in a world with a lot of competing voices that want to get your attention. But what I want you to do tonight is focus up on what God says, because what God says is so important because he is the most important person. And it's not worth it for us to get distracted and worry about all the other voices going on. We need to listen to God and God alone. So I want you to grab your Bible and look at Psalm chapter 19 as the heater turns on or something. Do you hear that? I don't know what that is. Psalm 19. Now, Psalm 19 is a famous chapter. A lot of these verses that we're going to go over tonight, maybe you've heard before. And really, it feels like there's two different ideas that come up in this psalm, but all of them relate to one thing. What does God have to say? Or another way of saying that, how has God spoken? We're asking questions in this psalm series, and every sermon is like a question, and we want to answer that question. Last week, we asked the question, where is my joy? And we need to ask that of ourselves, but really ask that from God. And today, the question is, what has God said? How has God spoken? Is there anything that we can catch from God? Because God is infinite and supreme and good, and we need to listen to everything that he says. Psalm 19, David is talking again, and here's what he praises God for. Look at verse 1. He says, the first, God, the, the first place that God has spoken is here in verse 1. It says, the heavens... The skies, what we saw in Psalm 8. It says, the heavens declare the glory of God. And the sky above proclaims his handiwork. I want you to think about what declaring and proclaiming mean. What does that mean? It means to say something. It means to shout something. Right? If someone came in and proclaimed something to you, it'd be like making a big announcement. What do the heavens and the skies and the, and the sun and the moon and the stars, what does that all do? This says, it shouts something to me and you. And we're supposed to listen. What does it say? Well, it declares the glory of God and proclaims his handiwork. It shows that everything that's made is from God. It says something about God. Look at verse 2. It says, day to day pours out speech. Night to night reveals knowledge. 
It's like every day and every night, and as the seasons go by and as everything goes on, it's like the world is shouting something to me and you. And really, God is speaking through the world. What is he trying to say? Look at verse number three. He says, well, there's no speech, nor are there words whose voice is not heard. So that's a hard thing to translate. Even in the Hebrew, there's different translations that translate that differently. But the point is basically this, that how does creation speak to us? What is God saying through it? Well, he's not using words, right? You can't go outside and look up in the clouds and see it written in the clouds, God is love. It won't say that. But you can go outside, look at the clouds, and you can see something about God. Think about it, right? Not through words, not through letters put together that are our words that we would speak with our mouths and our tongues and our vocal cords or listen to with our ears and the signal goes to our brain and then our brain interprets. Not those kind of words, but God does say something through creation. Verse four, it says, their voice goes out through all the earth and their words to the end of the world. I thought you said they didn't have any words, right? He's using figurative language here. It's like saying every day when you wake up and when you go outside, and you look at the trees, and you feel the sun on your skin, and you hear the, the birds chirping, right? And bugs are all over, and things are on the ground, and grass is growing, and it's green, and there's leaves blowing around, and like today, there was a lot of wind, right? Every time you go outside, God is saying something. Now, got to be careful about what he's saying, right? Because if the point is we need to listen to what he's saying, we, we shouldn't attribute more to God than what he's saying, but this says that it's declaring God's glory. It's showing something good about God. It says their voice goes out through all the earth, their words to the end of the world. Middle of verse 4, it says, In them he has sent, set a tent for the sun. Now, what he's going to talk about for the next two verses is the sun, like this thing in the sky, right? Which sounds odd. Like, why are we talking about the thing in the sky? Well, because if you think of all the things that are impressive about our world, there's probably nothing more impressive than the massive ball of fire that goes up and down in the sky, right, from our perspective, right? It goes up and it goes down. It gets hot, then it gets cold. And think about that. Every single day, that's what it looks like. And what this describes is, it's like God makes a tent for this, this guy called the sun. So obviously, he's speaking figuratively. He doesn't actually believe that the sun lives in a tent, right? Some people, when they look at the Bible, they say, oh, the Bible... Um, None of them knew anything about the sun or the moon or the stars because they use language like this. Well, this is figurative language. Obviously, he doesn't think the sun takes a nap at night in an actual tent. But look what he's trying to say. Verse 5, he says, the, the sun, which goes out, it comes out like a bridegroom leaving his chamber. It's like every day when we see the sun, it like comes up and it's beautiful in the morning. And it comes up and it's hot and it's ready to give energy to this world. It says it's like, a, it's like a guy on the day he gets married. It's like, imagine a guy on the day he gets married. How happy is this guy? He's walking out of his room. He has his tuxedo on. He has his tie on. He's excited because he's thinking, I want to get married today. I'm getting married today. And he has a huge level of excitement. Imagine what that would be like. David says that's like what the sun is every single day without fail. Is the sun ever late? Does the sun ever shine less brightly? The answer is no. Every day God gives energy through this sun. He goes on. He says, it's like a strong man. It's running its course with joy. It's like a, it's like a warrior that goes out. It's like a, a person who can run a, a strong race here. And he's, he's running every day. He never misses his course. Verse number six. It's rising is from the ends of heaven. It's circuit to the end of them. And there is nothing hidden from its heat. Now that might sound like a throwaway line or a biology line. Like, oh yeah, you know, the sun hits everything. But that's going to come up later, and that's going to be important for what he's going to talk about next. Now, these first six verses, what is God saying? Well, this text is telling us every day in creation, God is telling us something about himself. And I want you to write this down for point number one. I want you to write down that you and I, we need to discover what creation says about God. I want you to discover what creation says about God. God's world that he made, there's something that it's screaming at us every day. Now, we need to figure out what that is because this says the first thing that it's telling us is it's telling us how glorious or powerful God is. I want you to stop and think. Maybe you've done this before. Maybe you haven't done this. It's really helpful to do this, you know, when you're at camp or you're up in the mountains and you're surrounded by nature. But have you ever stopped and thought 
about how creative God must be when you look at the world that he made? Have you ever thought about that? Like, you think you're smart, right? You think smart people are smart, but no one that you've ever met is able to design a world like God made it. We can make cameras, we can make spaceships, we can make little tiny microchips, but none of them even compare to a single living organism. Like God has made even our eyeballs and, and the little things about us more amazing with so much more detail than anything that you or I could ever come up with. And again, everyone who invents those things works on the information of the past. It's like, no, no, God just came up with all of that. Have you ever stopped and thought about that? When you thought about how, I just I cut my finger earlier tonight, but I want you to imagine um, every time you get a cut, every time your body is ripped, do you know what seems to just like magically happen? You ever thought about this? That it just kind of like heals itself, right? Imagine if your car did that, right? Mark McGill would be out of a job, right? If every time there was a dent, it just, oh, it just kind of fixed itself, right? Or I, I imagine, you know, every time, you know, you went to school, it's like, I don't, your calculator did all your homework for you, like on its own. It knew, it's like, oh, well, that, that would be weird, right? Imagine if it did that. Well, it doesn't do that, right? Because it needs the human element, right? But your body just all of a sudden, it just kind of does stuff on its own, right? Well, have you ever thought about that shows how amazing God is? Like all the things that God has designed are so much more complex. They're so much more amazing. And when you think about the detail in which he makes things, think about the, the, the tiny detail, right? You guys ever learned about cells at school, right? Cells and biology, right? Seventh grade, you know, science. And then you study beneath the cells, you study the little parts of the cells, right? Then after you study the little parts of the cells, later on, you start studying molecules and atoms. And probably someone's told you like, you know, how many atoms are you? Oh, billions and billions or trillions of atoms. Like, yeah, and God has made all of them and he controls all of them, not just in you, but in your friend and in this whole room and in this whole city and in the whole county and in the whole state and in the whole country, in the whole world for all of time. Like, whoa, that'll start to blow your mind. And not just this little tiny earth, but now not only this earth, but every planet and every galaxy, God designed it all. That's how big and that's how powerful he is. Right? When you start to think about God's creation, hopefully you don't just think about his creation and think, oh, well, you know, it's amazing. Right? That's, that's the first step. But make the connection. When you see creation as amazing, make the connection that that says God is amazing. Okay? Sometimes we don't do that. Sometimes some of you are into science and you're into animals, right? You like your dog or your, your cat or you want to be a vet when you grow up. It's like, that's great. But do you ever make the connection, wow, that is amazing and God who made it is even more amazing. We have to make that connection. The psalmist always makes that connection. Two verses for you from the Psalms that talk about this. First one that you can write down is Psalm 33, verses 6 to 8. Psalm 33, 6 to 8, it says, By the word of the Lord, the heavens were made, and by the breath of his mouth, all their hosts. So all the stars of heaven. How were they made? Did God take millions of years to make it? Did he do it over a long period of time? No, it just says in a moment when God decided that it would be, he just said, let there be light. And guess what? For the first time in all of history, there was light. He said, oh yeah, let's make all these stars. And boom, in an instant, millions and billions of galaxies and stars. In the moment God just wanted it to happen, it happened. That is power like we can't even fathom. It says in verse seven of that text, it says, he gathers all the waters of the seas as a heap. Right? How much water can you gather in one place? Right? How, how, how much water can you kind of carry in your arms? Right? Like, not much, right? You can get your clothes wet, I guess, but, you know, you wring them out later. But you can't carry much water. Like, you can't gather much water. Maybe if you're, like, really strong, you can, you know, you ever get in the jacuzzi and try to make it splash everywhere? Right? You ever go back and forth with your friend in the jacuzzi and then you try to make the water splash everywhere? Right? Oh, that's really powerful. Try all the, the waves of all the ocean. Try all of the, the currents that God has made. Like That's power. It says he gathers the waters of the sea as a heap. He puts the deeps in storehouses, like all the water. like It's, it's just in the ocean perfectly as God has put it there. Crazy. It says, let all the earth fear the Lord. That's what we should do. When we see the world and all of its amazing complexities, we should fear the Lord. It says, let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe 
not of the world, but of him. We should not just stand in awe of the world, as, as amazing as it is. You and I are supposed to look out at the sky and Saddleback Mountain and the wind and all that and say, wow, God is powerful. Is nature powerful? Yeah, but nature or creation is just God's creation. It just is a small, tiny, tiny sliver of God's power. Another verse from the book of Psalms here. Psalm 74, verse 12. Psalm 74, verse 12, all the way to verse 17 there. I'll read it for you. He says, yet my God... My king is from of old. Right? God, my God has existed from all of eternity, working salvation in the midst of the earth. Then he starts to talk to God. You divided the sea by your might. You broke the heads of the sea monsters on the water. Like God's so powerful, he can take the biggest killer whales, he can take the biggest sharks, the leviathans, all that he's gonna say, and he could just crush them. That's how strong God is. You can't do that. I can't do that. You're not strong enough. God is though. He says, you gave him, Leviathan, as food for the creatures of the wilderness. You split open springs and brooks. When you think about how we get our water from the ground, it's like God made that happen. Have you ever been to like Old Faithful uh, Geyser in Yellowstone? You ever, anyone ever been there, right? The thing that shoots out of the ground, right? That's a lot of power, right? And they say, oh, it's so powerful, it you know, could erupt in a massive way anytime soon. Like, well, God made all that energy. He put it in there, and he's the one that makes it all break forth. He says, you also dry up ever-flowing streams. If God says, I don't want there to be water there, then there's not. He says, yours is the day, in verse 16. Yours also the night. You have established the heavenly lights and the sun. Like, why are we talking about this? Because I want you to see nature in the world and say, God did that. Every time. I don't want the, there to be a separation, right? And depending on how you've been taught this, some of you are taught that there's an actual separation, that God had no involvement in the creation of the world. The Bible says the exact opposite, that everything in the world was God's special creation, and he did it. It did not happen without God. It did not happen on its own. It happened with God's perfect creation. It says, verse 17, is you fixed all the boundaries of the earth, and you've made summer and winter. Like start to think about how complex God made this world. He did it. It doesn't just happen on its own. God did it. That should say something about God. I think the problem is for a lot of us, we see the world and we think sometimes we're impressed. Sometimes like, wow, that's amazing. But we don't often stop and say that God is amazing. We say, oh, that's an amazing wave. Oh, wow, that's a powerful waterfall. But in all of those things, our mind always has to go back to, well, God is powerful. God made that. As simple as that sounds. We don't want to not give him credit for what he does. Reminds me of uh, Alexander right now is selling a bunch of our stuff on Facebook Marketplace. Um, she's even selling stuff that was not ours, that she just bought at like thrift shops, and now she's selling more of it. Um, the other day, this is, this is how se severe it is. It's great. It's great. This, this is how crazy it is. One day, she, she, I came home, and the uh, dining room table was gone. She's gone. I sold it. You sold our table? <laughs> yeah, I got another one. We had another one. We picked it up, and it was great. But, like, sometimes I walk in. Like, today I walked in, um, and there were no blinds. And I said, where did the blinds go? And she just kind of like, I sold them. <laughs> I'm like, why do you sell the blinds? She's like, oh, I got other ones that I want to get. I'm like, okay, cool, whatever. But sometimes I walk in there, and, like, sometimes she sits and, like, waits for me to, like, say it. And I'm like, What? It's like, don't you notice? I'm like, sometimes I don't notice. At the dining room table, yeah, we noticed, obviously. But sometimes it's like, did you notice? I'm like, notice what? I'm sorry. Like, what, what did, what's different here? She's like, okay, look right here and tell me what's different about this. I'm like, God, did we get rid of the bench? No, we didn't get rid of the bench. We had that bench. This is, and then it was something else, right? And it's a weird sense, like, I didn't give her credit, right? You know, when I go in, it's like, oh, I want to give her credit. Like, today, I walked in and no blinds, and so I gave her credit. Congratulations. You sold the blind for 20 bucks. That was awesome. Um, but sometimes we go to God's world, and we see all the stuff that God does, but we never give him credit. We never say, wow, God did that. We just act like it's there, right? But everything that is in this world that impresses you or is amazing, God, God did that. The New Testament tells us that not only should we stop and look around and say, wow, God is amazing, like it says in Psalm 19, but also it says 
that because God has spoken in this way, everyone should know that he's there. Everyone should at least know that there is a God. Romans chapter 1, verse 20, it's an important verse for you to write down. Romans 1, 20 says that God's invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. What that means is, when God made the world the way he did, it was supposed to have you and me, even if we never had a Bible, even if we were never taught who God was, we were supposed to at least say, wow, someone amazing made all of us. When we interact with our our parents when we're growing up, and we see the, the love and care that our parents have, we should say, wow, there must be a God who loves and cares for us. When we interact with the, the, the beautiful landscapes and we get on a high hill and we see a sunset and we see how, in, we had a good sunset the other day, right? Where the clouds are there and then the sun goes up down um, beneath the horizon, then it shines up and then the, the, the sky's like red and blue and sometimes it's like a cotton candy pink. You're supposed to see that and say, the God who made it must be even more beautiful than his creation. And Romans 1 says the problem is people see God's amazing creation, but they never give him credit. And a lot of people never even acknowledge that he's there. Maybe you're a person who's done that. Maybe you don't even believe that God's there. Really, the first proof that the Bible says that God is there is look at how amazing this world is. It did not get here on its own. Romans 1 says because of that, we are all without excuse. No one can say, God didn't reveal himself to me. Well, because he did. Because he made this amazing world. We should at least know that there's a God. He's there. He's powerful. And he's personal. We should at least know all those things by looking at his world. There's a time where another passage in the New Testament, Acts chapter 17, Paul was preaching to these people who did not know about God. They they didn't worship the God of the Bible. A lot of them probably didn't even know there was a Bible. And he goes to the city of Athens. He starts talking to these people. And I want you to hear what he says. This is Acts 17, 24. I just want you to listen to this and imagine you are hearing this sermon from the Apostle Paul. You're a person who doesn't know anything about God. Listen to this. Acts 17, 24. The God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. And he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and boundaries of their dwelling place, that they should seek God, perhaps feeling their way towards God and finding him. Yet he's actually not far from each one of us, for in him we live and move and have our being. Right? These people are supposed to get this. Paul's like, yeah, you, you should know that there's a God because look at the world. I mean, you should know that there's a personal God because in him we live and move and have our being. Then he quotes one of their poets. He says, indeed, we are all his offspring. But they didn't even know who the his was. They just knew there had to be some God that created everything. Verse 29 of that passage, Paul says, being God's offspring, his children, says, we ought not to think that the divine being, the one who made us, is like silver or gold or stone or an image formed by art in the imagination of man. The times of ignorance, that means not knowing the truth, says God has overlooked. But now, this was 2,000 years ago, Paul said this. He says, but now God commands that all people everywhere should repent, turn from their sin. Because he has fixed a day on, on which he will judge the world, that includes you and me, in righteousness, by a man whom he has appointed. And he has given assurance to all of this truth by raising that man from the dead. And that was the end of the sermon, okay? It was a short one, right? And they probably said more, but that was a summary. But I want you to think about how he does that. He talks to people and he like assumes they know there's a God. Now he doesn't assume they know the God of the Bible. He just says, yeah, we obviously know that this couldn't have come from nothing. I want you to realize that when you talk to people about Jesus, and this is hard sometimes, we think like, how can I start to tell people the gospel, right? This is how Paul did it with people who didn't know any background. He just says, like, don't you look around at this world and see how amazing it is? I mean, don't we know that there has to be someone who made this? 
And we know like the, the, the being, the divine being that made this, they can't be made of like silver or gold, right? I mean, they have to be personal because we're personal. I mean, they, they, they have to feel because we feel. They have to be like that. A, a, a force like, even a principle like mathematics can't create emotion, right? Like, we got to know that there's something more than just us. And further, like, what do you think is going to happen when we die? You know there's going to be something beyond. You don't really think that you're going to be worm food. You don't really think. And then you start to talk to people. And they're like, yeah, I know. I've, I th-. And then they come up with all their theories, right? And that's what they did back then. But Paul says to these people, I mean, you should know that there's a God. I want you to take that as an encouragement when maybe you talk to some people that don't know Jesus, they, they don't know the gospel, they've never been to church. Paul says, I mean, they should know that there's a God, and that's what Psalm 19 says. God has shown that he's spoken through creation. He says, I exist, I'm there, I'm powerful, and I'm personal. All of that should be clear through the world. But the problem is, that is not enough to become a Christian, is it? Right, Because you've interacted with a lot of people that believe there's a God, that believe he's, he's there somewhere, that he created all of us, and that he's personal, but they're not saved from their sin, right? I mean, maybe some of you are like that. Some of you know the basics about God, but you're not saved. Like, you, your, your sins are not forgiven. They're still on your account. They've never been transferred to Christ. But, see, knowing this basic information doesn't save you, okay? That's true. That's why, if you're in Psalm 19, look at verse 7. David goes further. He says, there's something else God has said. Look what it says, verse 7. He says, the law of the Lord is perfect. After saying God speaks through creation, now look what he says. He says, God speaks in his word, the law. One of the reasons this year I wanted to study Deuteronomy in the summertime, you remember we studied Deuteronomy, then Isaiah, now we're looking at the Psalms, is so that when you hear the word law, you can automatically think, oh, I know what that's talking about. I mean, that's talking about God's rules, his righteous instructions, like what he tells the people in Deuteronomy what he teaches them in Exodus, right? That's the law of God, right? That's what he's talking about here. The law of the Lord is perfect. Look what it does. Reviving the soul. Reviving the soul. You know what that means? Word reviving, obviously it means a lot of things, but it's the idea of it brings you back from the dead. Like you're dead and now you're alive. Sometimes people translate this, the law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul, saving the soul. Like, there's an element to which you can't even be revived. You can't know God, really. I mean, you can know God's there, but you can't know him personally unless he speaks to you, not through creation, but through his word. I want you to think, what do you know about God? You know where it all comes from? It comes from creation, right? Because you know he's there and he's powerful. But you know where, where else it comes from? It comes from this book right here. That's where it comes from. Point number two, I want you to write this down. I want you to be more thankful for God's priceless words. Be more thankful for God's priceless words. As we think about how God has spoken, well, creation speaks, but guess what? He's done even more than that. He's spoken to us through his word. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. When you think about that, I want you to think, wow, well, that means that I could never be saved from my sin if God did not speak. You would not know anything about what Jesus did for you if it was not written down. You were not there. Like the, think about it. The only reason that you're saved, if you trace it back, is because someone taught you the Bible. Right? If you're a saved person, it's because of the Bible. Right? Now, the Bible is not the thing that saved you. The Bible is the tool that God used to share the truth with you. Right? And then God saved you, if you're saved. I, I'm not saying the Bible saves you, but think about it. What does the law of the Lord do? When we listen to God's rules, it, it gives us new life. Next thing, it says, the testimony of the Lord is sure. Testimony. You have an old and a new testament, right? Testimony. What's a testament? So when when someone speaks and says something that happened, right? A testimony. We testify. Sometimes you hear people in the baptism tanks. What do they do? They share their testimony. What's a testimony? Well, it's saying, here's what happened. So whenever God speaks, whenever God says, here's what happened, guess what we can know? It's sure. God is never unsure about anything. Have you ever thought about that? I'm unsure about a lot of things. You're unsure about a lot of things, right? Maybe your neighbor is unsure of less things than either one of us, but the point is, God is always right, and he's always sure. He never has to guess. He knows the end from the beginning. He sees all things all at once, and he never has to guess. 
So whenever he says anything, by definition, it is always true. Always true. So if God's word says it, it's true. You can trust it, even if you don't have all the evidence for it yet. You can just trust it, because God's the one who said it. He goes further. He says, the testimony of the Lord is sure. What does it do? It makes wise the simple. In the book of Proverbs, the simple person is the one who doesn't know anything. Some of you were teaching me about uh, Clash Royale tonight. Is that right? Did I say it right? Clash Royale? Right? I'm a simple one. I don't know what Clash Royale is. I need, I, I need to be instructed. I need to be taught. I don't probably actually need to know. Um, I was telling you about the PSP back in the day, right? the PlayStation Portable. That thing was really cool. Heard they make new versions of that now, but, um, well, the Switch is, the Nintendo Switch is like that, I suppose. Um, but I was simple tonight before you told me about it. That means I didn't know. I had to be enlightened. I had to be told. What this says is, what does the testimony, when God speaks about something, guess what it does for you and me who don't know everything? It now fills you with truth. Now you know the truth about subjects that scientists wish they knew. You know some things that historians just are trying to figure out. You know them. How do you know them? Well, because God said it and you trust God's word when other people don't. You know truth. Then it says, the precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. Think about that. That means you can't even truly be happy, not truly happy, not really rejoicing, if you don't have God's word. Think about what, what could possibly make you happy in this world. Really, think about it. In a world where people are evil, in a world where people do bad things, in a world where you get hurt, in a world where people get sick and die, how could you possibly be happy? The only way you can be happy is if your happiness is based on what God says, that he exists, that he loves us, that there's hope, that Jesus came to die for sinners, and now we can have hope for eternal life. Like, without God's word, you don't have that. You can't even be happy, really, truly happy, without God's word. It says, the commandments of the Lord, that's the next thing here, look at the middle of verse 8, check it out in your Bibles, it says, the commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. Same idea as making wise the simple. You can't even know truth without his commandments. When he says, honor your father and mother, when God says that, it's true and it enlightens your eyes. Think about that. Whenever God gives a commandment, it says, first of all, it's pure, it's right. So following God's commandments are always right. And you might say, well, that's hard to do. I don't know if I want to do what God says. It says, just do what God says. And don't worry if you think it's a good idea or not. Just do what God says, because they're right. They're pure. And really, if you look at the commandments, it enlightens your eyes. Now, you know things about what's right and wrong. I mean, think about that. I know this sounds weird, but you know more about right and wrong than some of the smartest people in our world. Have you ever thought about that? You know more about right and wrong. You know more about the truth than many of the smartest people in the world. You know why? Because they're trying to figure it out on their own. But those of you who believe God's word and say, well, whatever God's word says is right, that's what I believe is right. Whatever God's word says is wrong, that's what's wrong. You know more than some of the smartest people in our world. Does that blow your mind? That's crazy because you believe God's word, if you do. I know many of you don't, but for those of you who do, you are at a huge advantage here. Next one, it says, the fear of the Lord is clean. Enduring forever. What should God's word create in us? Well, we already saw in, what was it, Psalm 33, yeah, Psalm 33, 8, that says when we look at God's world, we should fear him because he's powerful because his world is, is strong and powerful. Further, when you look at God's word and you see what happened with Moses, you see what happened with the Red Sea splitting, you saw what happened with the Egyptians and how Pharaoh hardened his heart, that should make you fear God. Because if you harden your heart, what happened to Pharaoh, that could very well happen to you. When you look at what the Israelites went through, as we read in our daily Bible reading and we're continuing to read, we're in the book of Numbers, next book that we're going to get to is the book of Numbers. When you see how they complained in the wilderness and God said, great, you're dead, you're dead, you're dead, you're dead. Well, I bet I shouldn't complain. Because the same God who killed these people in the wilderness is the same God that said to you in Philippians 2, do all things without grumbling and complaining. So now if you know God's word, guess what that should cause in you? A reverence for God, a fear for God. Like, oh, I don't want to do what God says not to do. I want to do exactly whatever God says to do. 
want to be obedient. It says next, the rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. Think about that. That every rule that God gives is true. It's righteous altogether. So if you do what God's word says, you're going to be living righteously. Then it says, because of all that, verse 10, check it out. It's the punchline here. More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold. If I asked you, what would you rather have, a million dollars or your Bible? You'd say, trick question, I would buy a Bible with a million dollars. But let's just imagine you couldn't have either one of them, right? A million dollars is not that much money, right, if you're going to sell your whole life away for something. Um, you run out of that really fast, especially because of inflation. But that aside, um, like what would you rather have? I know that's a dumb question. It's like, oh, the Bible is the right answer. But think about it, right? How about not a million dollars and never have the Bible, but how about do all the fun things you want to do today or read your Bible? Because that's the real question. That's the question you guys are answering with your life every day. Do I really want God's word? And he says here, if all these things are true, which again, he says they're true. I believe they're true. I hope you believe they're true. Even if you don't always act like that, he says they're, they're, they're better than gold. They're better than riches. I'd rather have them than money. I'd rather have them than stuff. Right? The security that I have in obeying God is better than the security I can get by buying a big house. The joy that I get in God's word is better than the joy I can get in playing whatever sport, doing whatever thing. It's better for me to just do what God says. It's, it's more joyful for me to be in a right relationship with God. He says, sweeter also than honey and drippings of the honeycomb. Right? Again, I don't like honey very much. No offense if you guys like honey. I like what my wife made for me this morning. She made me cinnamon rolls. Hot cinnamon rolls with the frosting on top. Oh, guys, it was good. It was really good. I had my nice big cup of milk with ice in it. Um, I knew that would set you off. Don't knock until you try it. And then you chew on the ice. It's good. It's like ice cream without the cream part. Hey, it was good. I know, it's kind of gross. But the cinnamon rolls are better than the milk. I will say that, right? When I think of the cinnamon rolls with the, with the nice... Uh, cream on it and what was it like the, the sour cream no sour cream cream cheese I get those two confused cream cheese frosting not sour cream frosting that would be gross cream cheese frosting I'm sorry um, that was a mistake the, the ice and milk thing you got to try that's real but sour cream frosting is not true cream cheese frosting is what I meant to say okay that was good right and it's like sweet and I love it and I even said hey do you want to make those this morning she's like oh yeah well, of course and we had it it was good and Eden was hanging out there. It was fun. It was a good morning, right? It was sweet in all senses of the word, okay? This says that the Bible and the, the satisfaction it gives and the, the, the satisfying of a desire that it does is better than the satisfying of the desire that honey, that sweets, that candy does. It's sweeter to the taste. It's better for the life than even that. Then it says, moreover, by them, by the law, the precepts, the commandments, which all seem like hard words, right? Where's the poetry? Where's the songs, right? No, it's like, he's just saying everything that God's word is, it is better, and it is the thing that warns. It says in verse 11, moreover, by them is your servant warned. I'm, I'm withheld, I'm restrained by God's word, and in keeping them, there is great reward. It doesn't say that when you keep God's word, you're going to get a great reward. It says in keeping them, in the action of keeping them, that is my reward. It's interesting. Now, I, I do believe that there's reward in keeping God's word. But his idea here, I think, is more along the lines of when you keep God's word, you are rewarded in doing that. That is the reward in a way. You're in Psalm 19. I want you to turn your Bibles to, to the right a couple chapters. Psalm 119. Psalm 119. We're going to look at this. And it's a couple chapters. This is the same book. Chill out. Um, Psalm 119. Now, you're, now that you're chilled out, it's good. Psalm 119. Look at verse 96. Psalm 119, 96. For those of you that don't know, this is the longest chapter in the Bible. So if you're like, 96 verses. Is that true? That is true. 96 verses. 
Well, I know it's more than 96. We're just starting on 96. That's right. The Bible trivia people said 176. That's right. Check out verse 96. So this chapter is really big, and it's funny because this chapter is talking about the Bible. This guy's saying how good the Bible is in this chapter. That's the longest chapter in the Bible. But here's what he says in verse 96. He says, I've seen a limit to all perfection. So everything that I've had that has been perfect, there's a limit to that. Every perfect relationship, it's great, but it won't last forever. Every good gift that I've had, it's awesome, but it's not as exciting tomorrow as it was today. It's not as exciting in 10 years as it was today. I've had good victories, if this is David. I've had good things. I've had good experiences. I've had good jobs. I've had good roles. I've had good respect. But there's a limit to all perfection. But this your commandment, your word, is exceedingly broad. It's like if there's a limit of perfection to everything that we experience that's great, it's like there's a limitation to that. God's word has no limitation in its perfection. There's no borders to how vast and broad God's perfection is in his word. Verse 97, that's why he says, oh, how I love your law. You were reading in the Old Testament Leviticus. That's the law. He loves the law. Right? Maybe that's not how you felt today when you're reading about burnt offerings and sacrifices, but I want you to get there when you read God's word. Like, I love this. I love this. I'm not saying you have to love burnt offerings and sacrifices. Right? That's not what he says. He doesn't say I love burnt offerings and sacrifices. He says, I love God's instruction when God tells me what to do. When God instructs me and tells me where I'm wrong, I love that. It's my meditation all the day. Like, that's what I think about. I was talking to someone at the office, and I was saying, isn't it funny that we always, if you're uncomfortable, if you don't know what to say, if you're bored, what do you always do? You stick your hand in your pocket, you grab out the little the rectangle thing, and you start moving your finger around on it, right? So weird way of putting it, but you use your phone, right? It's just weird, like you are programmed, I know, you're like, what am I talking about? Your phone, right? You're programmed to immediately not be uncomfortable with anything, so phone, right? And there's a way that, I mean, most people do that. Maybe if you don't have a phone, you don't do that, and maybe that's a good thing. Actually, definitely a nice thing not to be addicted to a phone, for sure. But it's interesting that you and I don't meditate on anything all the day long, very rarely, Sometimes it takes going away to vacation or going away to revival to really like meditate on something, right? To not be distracted on something. And it doesn't have to be a phone. It could be anything to distract us. But he says God's word is always on his mind. He loves thinking about it. Verse number 98. He says, check it out in your Bibles. Your commandment makes me wiser than my enemies for it is ever with me, right? Does he walk around with a scroll everywhere, right? Is that what he's saying? No, it's not on his phone. That's not what it means by it's with him. It's with him because it's in here. It's in his mind because he keeps saying it and thinking about it. Right? No one could take that away from him. Makes him wiser than his enemies. He says, I have more understanding than all my teachers. Right? He's not being proud. Right? Don't quote that verse to your teacher. Don't say, I have more understanding than all my teachers. No, you don't. Um, why is he saying that? He's saying that because he's, he's saying God's word gives me instruction. I know more than even the smart people in the world because I know what God says. Because what they say, yeah, it could be right, it could be wrong. Maybe it's true today, it'll change tomorrow. But God's word is always true, no matter what. He says, I have more understanding than the aged, right? This person's not an old person, but he says, I have more understanding of how the way the world works because I know God's word. Now, just for I keep your precepts. I hold back my feet from every evil way, right? I don't want to walk into an evil path, right? And I know we don't always talk about things in the path language, but imagine all your sinful decisions were like you were taking a step down a path that you don't want to go on. And it's like every sinful decision, that's why when you lie about something, you'll lie again to cover it. And then you'll lie again to someone else to cover it. It's like you're taking steps down a sinful path, right? It's like, I don't want my way of life to ever take a left turn and walk down a sinful path. I want to keep it straight and as however God wants it to be. He says, I don't turn aside from your rules, for you have taught me. How sweet are your words to my taste, sweeter than honey to my mouth. Through your precepts, I get understanding. Therefore, I hate every false way. Right? Even ask that question, do you hate every false way? Or are you always like fighting this battle in your heart that you always want to do what's bad? 
you always want to go against God? Or is it like when you're in God's word, it's like, I don't even want those bad things. I hate every false way. I don't want to be disobedient to my parents. Why would I ever want to do that? Because I, I would hate that. Because God's word says, honor your father and mother that it might go well with you in the land of the living. Or it might go well with you in the land that you're going into. Oh, and Ephesians 6 says, children, obey your parents in the Lord for this is right. right? It's like, I know that's one simple thing, but I want you to think about it. Like, if God's word is, is so ingrained in your heart, it's going to come out in the way that you think about things. Look at verse 105, probably the most famous verse in the chapter. It says, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. He says, in all things, God instructs me. He guides me. That's why the New Testament says that we should look at God's word. This is the theme verse for the edge. You guys remember this. Hebrews 4, 12 says the word of God is living and active. Think about all the things that the Bible does. This text gave us all these things, right? Psalm 119 told us things. Psalm 19 told us all these things. But Hebrews 4 says the word of God is living and active. It's sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and of marrow, discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And no creature is hidden from God's sight. Nobody is. But all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. Like, God, in his word, will expose us. If you read God's word with an eye to say, God, show me where I fall short. Show me where my heart's not right. Guess what God's word will continually do for you? It will expose you. You'll be like, ooh, that person in the Bible who's doing what's wrong, that's kind of like what I did. Ooh, when, when they didn't tell the truth and they got in trouble, that's, that's what I did yesterday. Oh, when, when, when they were slanders, oh, that's, that's kind of, that's how I talked about my friend behind their back. Ooh, when I read this and it says, love one another, right? Love covers a multitude of sins. Ooh, I don't, I don't think I really did that yesterday. Like when you read the Bible, as you reflect on your life, which doesn't happen very often, obviously, but when you do reflect on your life, like the Bible should be exposing. And it says the word of God is living and active. It does that. Here's the question. How do you get there? Point number two is be more thankful for God's priceless word. How do you get there? You got to spend time there. You have to spend time there. If you think that this is just going to happen on its own, you think that maybe one day you'll wake up and love God's word, you don't understand how it works. It's not how it goes. You've got to work at it. You've got to get there. You've got to spend more time in there. You've got to talk about it. Once you spend more time in God's word, it's going to motivate you to talk about it. Then it's going to motivate you to think about it at all times. The other thing that I hope it should do is motivate you to pray about it. I hope that you're praying about what you're reading in God's word. I don't say that unintentionally. I say that very intentionally because look what happens next in Psalm 19. Turn back in your Bibles to Psalm 19. Look at verse 12. I want everyone to see this. Psalm 19, 12. Check it out in your Bibles. After praising God for making everything, after praising how great God's rules are in his word and how much he loves God's word, look what David does next. He now, instead of talking about God and talking about his world, look what he's now going to do. Now he's going to talk to God. Now he's going to pray. Verse 12. It says, who can discern his errors? Whose errors? The reader's errors. My errors. Declare me innocent from hidden faults. Like, what's going to look at my life and say, John is wrong about this? What's going to look at your life and say, you are wrong about this? Guess what? We'll, we'll, we'll do that. God's word. It's going to say that you're in error. It's going to say that you're in sin. It's going to say that I'm wrong. It says, not only that, David says, declare me innocent from hidden faults. He says, there's so much that I've done wrong that I don't even know. Right? Think about all the sins that you confess to God. Right? Have, you, have you covered all of those? Like, have you confessed all of them? Or maybe there's some things that you don't even realize about yourself. There's pride that you didn't even know was there. There's words that you said that you forgot that were sinful and evil that like, they're just poof, gone. You'll never even remember them again. David says, God, all of this evil that I've done, it's just like right before your face. He says that in Psalm 51. He says, all my sin is ever before you, God. Declare me innocent from hidden faults. Keep back, verse 13, check it out in your Bibles. Keep back your servant also from presumptuous sins, right? The, the in-your-face sins, the sins that are very insulting to God, not just the secret sins, the things that you do that you forgot about or didn't know about, but like the, the things that you did in pride and in God's face. He says, keep me back from that. I don't want to do that. Then he says, let them not have dominion over me. There's such a power that sin has over people. First Corinthians 6 says that there, there is a truth that although you might be allowed to do a lot of things, 
Your parents might not tell you you can't do a lot of things. Not all things are helpful for you. There's a dominion that can take over with sins. He says, don't do that. Then it says, as after this prayer, he's saying, let them not have dominion over me. He says, then I shall be blameless and innocent of great transgression. I'm never even going to start to do the right thing until sin doesn't have a hold on my life. Look what he prays next, verse 14. He prays, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. He says, I want my words, so what comes out of my mouth, but not just that. I don't just want to act righteous on the outside. I want the meditation of my heart. You know, in the New Testament, when Jesus gets all mad at the Pharisees, he doesn't say that they did a whole bunch of bad stuff on the outside. He doesn't say that. He says, they're full of hypocrisy. They're full of evil stuff on the inside. You would have looked at them and said, oh, they're more godly than me. But Jesus says, no, they're not. Maybe they are more godly than you, but they're not godly because their heart is so far away from God. They don't, they don't love God. They don't care. It says about them, they're like whitewashed tombs. They're like places where dead people's bones are on the inside, but they're really pretty on the outside. He says here, I want my words and my meditation to be acceptable in your sight. Because guess what? God sees your words, all of them, even the ones that you've said in secret, even the ones that you've said when you thought nobody was listening, God heard all of those. But not just that, God sees the meditation of your heart, what you want to think about. In the quiet and the stillness, when nothing's going in your ears and nothing's going in your eyes, what do you think about? God sees all of it. And he says, I want all of that to be acceptable to God. Point number three, I want, as you think about that, what do we do with God's word? Well, the thing that we do is adjust our actions and our attitudes with God's word. Like if we take God's word and imagine it's the, it's the guide, it's the ruler, it's the straight line. I want to take all my crooked actions and all my crooked attitudes and I want to get those in line with how God says. That's what he prays about here. I said that there was a phrase in Psalm 19 earlier, the sun, there's nothing that's hidden from the sun's heat. Right? I think the reason that he included that is to say that's kind of like what the word of God does. There's nothing hidden from God's word like it says in Hebrews 4. Some people even make the comment like, why does he talk about the sun in verse 4? Well, it's because he talks about two other golden objects, gold and honey and the sun. If you painted a picture of Psalm 19, it would be a, a bright, cheery painting. But I think the, the most striking thing here is here at the end, the words of my mouth and meditation of my heart. One of those things is a vocalization, right? It's a, stupid way of saying um, one of those things is words like actual words and the other is silent words what do we talk about at the beginning god speaks in creation but how does he speak well not with words on the outside but like silent words but then how does he speak through his word well with actual words like with word words like wordle words if you play wordle um kelly plays wordle she introduced me you know what wordle is talk to Kellyam. But yeah, we got words, words, right? Interesting that that's how this ends. David says, I want my words that I say and the words that just go on inside my head. I want my external and my internal. Just like at the beginning, it says God speaks audibly through his word and he speaks silently through creation, but he's still speaking. I want all that to be acceptable to God. Psalm 40 verse 12 says, for evils have encompassed me, surrounded me, beyond number. My iniquities have overtaken me. I have so much sin in my life. He says, and I cannot see. And they are more than the hairs of my head, and my heart fails me. It's like when I start to think about my sin, it, I, I couldn't even count them. And if I started to think about it, my heart fails me. I, I want to cry, is what he's saying. I, 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 just, I just can't do it. And he says, but be pleased, O Lord, to deliver me. O Lord, make haste to help me. Forgive me, please. That's his attitude towards God. If you look at your actions and your attitudes, and we really put them all, we wrote them all down. We displayed them all. You'd probably be embarrassed about a lot of your attitudes and a lot of your actions, just with your peers. But I bet if you took those and lined those up with the word of God, you would find that they're even more out of order. There's things that you've probably said and done this week that you wouldn't want the person sitting next to you to know, 
right? That would be bad enough, but imagine that compared to God's word. You'd find like, wow, we're even more sinful than we thought. That's what he says in Psalm 40. In Psalm 90, which is the oldest psalm, Moses sung it. He says about God, to God, says, you have set our iniquities before you. It's like, you know, some of you guys play cards, sing your cards, right? You say, fan out your cards. That's the picture. It's like, God has the stack of your iniquities and sins. And Moses says, it's like God takes all those out and just kind of like lays them on the table. It's like, whoa, that's a lot of them. I didn't realize there was that many. Our iniquities are set before you. Our secret sins in the light of your presence, right? The things that we did in darkness are in his light. The things that we did when we act like God wasn't there are laid out in his presence, right? The contrast is supposed to be stark for us. The point is, Moses says, like, all of the bad stuff we've done, it's all out before God. None of it's hidden. That's why David says in Psalm 139, verse 23, he says, Search me, O God. This is an important verse for you to think through. You're going to look at it in small groups. Um, Psalm 139, verse 23 says, Search me, O God, and know my heart. He says, God, I know my heart is not perfect. I know I make mistakes. I know I sin. But God, show me the things that I'm doing that I... I don't even see about myself because verse 12 in our text says, declare me innocent of hidden faults. Like I, I've got hidden stuff I don't even know about. But guess what? All of your sins are not hidden to God. He knows all of them. So David says, show me what they are and see if there's any grievous way in me. If I have bad motivations with this, show me God. He says, and lead me in the way everlasting. So I just want you to see, you cannot do point number three in any way, shape, or form if you do not pray. You cannot do it. You just won't. You, you, you can't adjust your attitudes and actions. You could try and say, okay, I'm going to do better. You cannot do that at all, at all, unless you are prayerful, unless you're talking to God about it, unless you're doing what David does in Psalm 19, verse 12, 13, 14. I said before, like, we're not really good at reflecting on things, and I think that might be part of our problem. We talk about, well, what do you pray about? When do you pray? It's like, well, I don't really have time to. Oh, I don't really stop and talk to anybody. I don't really stop because I'm always going from here to there, doing this thing and that thing. Well, adjusting your actions and attitudes takes reflection. It takes some quiet time. It takes some time away and stopping and thinking. If you're going to do that, really, if I'm going to do that, really, it's going to take some careful reflection to stop and think, how, how have my attitudes been? How have my actions been? How have my words been? interesting thing about um, the Super Bowl, like what I said at the beginning was when they're calling plays, and imagine maybe you play football, you might know this, but you know that they're never like just winging it out there, right? They're not like coming up with a bunch of new plays while they're out there. You know, even the, the plays that they do that they don't normally do, they're practiced. They're rehearsed. But right now, there are teams, probably right now, these two teams that are left that are practicing today. I bet they're running plays and at least talking about them. And you know what they do after every game? This is kind of this is the craziest part about football. They watch film. You know what that means? It means they sit down and watch the game that they played and see how they can do better. Then they watch their opponent's games and say, this is what we got to do. They sit down and have to watch and watch and watch. And talking to football players, of which I'm not one, um, the thing that they hated the most was film. Oh, I got to watch film. Why? Because they're reflecting. They're prepping. They're planning for something as unimportant as football. Although the Super Bowl might be important, right? It's not as important as what we're talking about tonight. If they plan, practice, and do all the things that they do and reflect, we need to do the same thing when it comes to fighting our fight, when it comes to doing what we need to do with the Lord, having our attitudes and actions reflect what God has to say. Doing all this is going to take prep, which is why... Um, I said earlier, I want you to think about when this is going to take place for you. It's one thing you're going to talk about in small groups tonight. And leaders, this isn't a question, but I do want this to kind of be the lead-off thing or the closing thing. How am I going to do this? When am I going to do this? When am I going to pray about this? Let's pray right now that we would be more prayerful and we'd be more obedient and we'd appreciate God's word more. Let's pray. God, we confess that we are not reflective enough about our own life as we should be. Most of us go from thing to thing and forget about our actions and our words. I pray that tonight we would take some time to reflect on how we have done in this area. I pray that you would grow us 
pray that you would change us. Pray that you'd make us more like your son. We know that in all these things, you're pleased when your people pray. You're pleased when we seek your face. You're pleased when we seek to have our attitudes and actions in line with how you want them. You're also pleased when we give time to your word. So we know that reading our Bibles and praying is not a new thing, but we know that it needs to be the main thing that we're doing every day. I pray that at some point we'll get to that level of excitement that we see with, with David here. He loves your law. I pray that we would get there. I pray that each one of us would feel that excitement and that would drive us to pray, that would drive us to read your word every day. Please grow us in this area. We need it. 